Hi, thanks for tuning in to our Women's Bible Study. My name is Stephanie Schwartz. I'm the Director of Women's Ministry at Compass Bible Church, and we're currently going through the books of First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, we're going to be looking at Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Our teacher this week is Heather Pace. Heather happens to be the wife of our pastor, Lucas Pace, and she's the mother of four beautiful daughters. Uh, Heather actually is a prolific blogger, and you can go to her blog at truthforwomen.com. It's truth and then the number four, women.com. And, uh, you know, read Heather's insights, see the way that she takes scripture and brings it to life. And that's what you'll see as you listen to Heather today. You'll see that she's engaging and easy to listen to. So let's prepare our hearts to learn from God through Heather's teaching. Well, these are some crazy days we are living through. Uh, it's history in the making. I'm probably the only weirdo that actually pictures what will be in the history books, the kids' history books, in the next 50 years. Uh, I see a sign at a park that says it's closed, and I think, yep, that will be in the history books. I can just imagine it, the picture there with the park and the yellow caution tape all around it. Or possibly there will be that coronavirus molecule that we've all seen. Uh, it's depicted as that gray ball with those red little pokies around it. Possibly that will be there. Or there will be the mention of the toilet paper and the paper towels and the face masks. Or, of course, it will talk about how long this whole thing lasted, which we are still very curious about. Um, there will probably be crazy stats about our internet and our social media usage and Zoom usage. And then there will be those more serious stats about uh, people who've been infected and those who have died. And then there will be that curve, certainly be that curve that we are trying to flatten. But what if, spiritually speaking, something entirely different is going on? I mean, get past the history books and get to eternity. What will we think of this time? And Lord willing, though these days do seem crazy and uncertain from our vantage point, we will learn that God has been up to something Behind the scenes, he's been doing things. He has been saving souls. He's been using his church. He's been growing us. We might find that this is actually a tremendously spiritually profitable season of history. And of course, that is what we should be praying for. And that's exactly what the text we've come to in 2 Thessalonians will remind us today. When Paul was writing his letters to the Thessalonians, times then were not easy. They were often uncertain or even crazy then. Uh, as he wrote throughout the books at the beginning, he talked often about the afflictions. He said they had persecutions, they had suffering. He said it over and over again. Early in the book, he talked about how he was shamefully treated. And then as we get to the end of the book, it talks about how he was wanting to be relieved from these wicked and evil men that were around him. And though he had these concerns, and they were real concerns, he was asking for a prayer about it, 
That's not where his focus was. Paul's focus was fixated on God and what God was up to and what we should be praying for and what God can do through the power of the gospel and how God could be sustaining us and keeping us faithful. Paul had a very prayerful, a hopeful, an eternal mindset that he exemplified. And that is exactly the mindset that we need as we face life today. It will fuel us to have the right mindset, to care about the right things. And it will get us motivated to be a part of what we trust that God is doing behind the scenes through prayer. So please grab a Bible or open up your Bible app and get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, This is the close of the book, basically. We're getting to that last chapter. Paul has a few instructions that he wants to give the Thessalonians, but before he gets to those instructions, he has a specific prayer request, and then he has some encouragement for the Thessalonians. And that's what we'll read in this text. So read it with me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. There's actually a few different topics that Paul gets into throughout this text, but all of them could be really seen through the lens of a prayer request, of a prayer list that we could have. So let's look at the first one in verse one. He says in verse one, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So Paul is thinking about the Thessalonians' reception to the gospel, how they received it. You might remember at the beginning of the book, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says about the Thessalonians, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Everyone had known that they had turned from their idols to the living and true God. That's what chapter 1 verse 9 says. The word of the Lord came to them and it was honored. The gospel of God was glorified. And Paul is asking for more of that kind of success. He has been traveling all over. After he was in Thessalonica, he went to Berea and then to Athens. And then as he's writing 2 Thessalonians, he's in Corinth. And then after that, he goes to all these other places. Paul is wanting the gospel to go out everywhere, but not just to be heard, not just that the gospel would get there, but that people would hear it and that they would respond like the Thessalonians did that they would hear it as the very words of God, that they would turn from their idols to the living and true God, that they would have repentance and faith. So essentially, Paul is asking them to pray that God would save souls. Of course, that should be at the top of our prayer list as well. So point number one, the first thing we see in this text that could spur on our prayer life is we should ask God to save souls. And what better time is there than right now. 
for so many reasons, our world is ripe for the gospel. We are constantly hearing the word death all over the place. We're seeing stats. I mean, just the reminder is in front of us that death is real, right? We try to pretend that it's not as often as we can, but no one can escape the reality that one day they will die. And even those who are constantly comfortable, life is good, they think they need nothing, they could be realizing that they too are vulnerable. So many things that normally distract us have been moved out of the way. Uh, People who are facing financial difficulties might be being rocked. And yet while all this is happening, people are hearing the gospel. I I think specifically of this last weekend, Easter weekend, how many people heard the gospel? People who would never step foot in a church even on Easter weekend could have been scrolling, could have had it sent to them. And there it was, there was a church service that clearly proclaimed it. I mean, in our church alone, the last time I looked, the clear gospel presentation has reached something like 5.8 thousand and that number seems to keep rising. And then uh, all over the place, I mean, I'm thinking Good Friday service, not even thinking of that and thinking of all of our church plants, all the services they put out and so many other churches that are gospel preaching churches that have gotten the gospel out and people are hearing it. And then even before Easter, I could think of last week, a handful of times, at least five different times where a clear gospel presentation came across my social media feed from all different types of sources, testimonies, different churches, uh, different little videos, all proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is going out. People are hearing it. So we need to pray that these people who have heard it cannot sleep at night as their head hits the pillow. They are restless until they, like the Thessalonians, see that this is the living word of God, that they turn from their idols to the living and true God. Let's ask God to save souls. The Thessalonians aren't the only good example of how this works. Uh, We see this all throughout the book of Acts, how the gospel can effectively spread all over. Let's just read a few of these passages real quick. Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I mean, even in that, there's a prayer request. Those, the priests in their day, the people who were religious, the people in our churches who need to repent and turn to the gospel, to Jesus Christ, they can get saved. Or Acts chapter 12, verse 24 says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Another one, Acts 13, verse 49 says, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Or Acts 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And Acts 19.20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Increase, multiply, spread, prevail mightily. Those are all things that we want to happen with the word of God, with the gospel. We want the word of the Lord to speed ahead and be honored, as Paul said. And what a great imagery that is for it to speed ahead. Uh, It's very likely that Paul had in, in his mind Psalm 147, 15, which says, He, God, sends out his commands to the earth. His word runs swiftly. 
God's word is running because God sends it out. It's also a bit like how Paul describes God's word in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says in 2 Timothy 2 verses 8 through 9, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Paul is stuck in some prison. He is all chained up, but the word of God is free to go out. As I've heard others say, the gospel is not quarantined. The gospel is not stuck at home. It's not sheltering at home. It is not on lockdown. It will go out and it should go out. And we need to pray to that end. Think of it this way. Right now, we have the coronavirus all around us. And we are told that if we stay at home, we can help flatten the curve. That less people will interact with the virus and that will make a difference. Well, as we're praying for the gospel to go out, for it to speed ahead, we are praying that more people come in contact with the gospel. We are praying for a spike in the salvation curve. Just by people coming in contact with it and praying that God would do what he does best and turn people from darkness to light. And we could perhaps see that curve be higher than it ever has before because more people are hearing it and more people are ready. Or another image that might be just as relevant and helpful. You might have seen that model of contagiousness. You know, as we're thinking of a virus spreading, we see these different models. And there's one in particular that I saw that shows you have one person who gets the virus and then they spread it to say, two people or so. And then those two people spread it to two people or so. And it just keeps going until so many people have it. Well, again, replace that virus with the gospel. You have someone who hears the gospel, who receives the gospel, who turns from their sin and trust in Christ, and they get excited about it, and they share it with one or two or more people. And then you have that person share it with one or two or more people, and so on and so on. And so many people hearing the gospel and getting saved. And what is the power behind that system, that diagram? What is the power that makes that work? God, right? God is the power behind salvation. He is the power behind the effectiveness of us sharing the gospel. And so we end up becoming a part of the gospel spreading just by praying, praying that God in his power would save souls. And we need to pray that. And it should be more important than probably anything else that we are praying for. Yes, there's urgent needs and there's things that we should be praying persistently for. But when it gets to the end of it all, when all is said and done, what will we be more glad that we poured our hearts in prayer over? And it should be so evident that we are passionate about the gospel getting out in our own prayer life, in, in our hearts getting into it, the time that we spend in it. But then when we pray with our small group, it should be evident. When we pray with our families, it should be evident. When we pray with our kids at night, when we tuck them in for bed, what are they hearing us pray? Yes, there's other things to pray for. Yes, we want this to be over. Yes, we want people to be healthy and people to be okay. 
but we really want people to get saved. And our kids need to hear us pray that. It should be evident that this is what we care about, that we want to ask God to save souls. Paul also asked the Thessalonians to pray for another thing, though it's not entirely unrelated to the salvation of souls. Let's look back at the text. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. Paul says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. So as Paul is getting out there to preach the gospel, he is meeting some opposition. Some people who do not have faith, they're enemies of the gospel. Uh, He describes them as wicked and evil. Those words just meaning they're perverse. They might even be unreasonable. They have an evil aggression that they are showing. Basically, they're causing suffering for Paul and his companions. And so Paul is asking for prayer against whatever harm that they might cause them. And certainly he's also thinking of the fact that he wants to be effective in the gospel and he doesn't want them to prevent him from doing that. And often Paul asked for these kinds of prayers. This isn't a new thing. It wasn't just to the church in Thessalonica. He also asked for prayer from the church in Rome and Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae. Paul depended on the prayer of those he sought to do ministry among. Uh, It's a humility, right? I mean, he knew that he depended on God, that his ministry depended on God, that his effectiveness, that his protection, that it all hinged on God's sustaining power. And that is certainly true for the spiritual leaders in our life too. It's no different. They need God's sustaining power. They need God to make them effective in all they seek to do for the Lord. So the second way our passage encourages us to pray is to pray for our leaders, to pray for our pastors. And specifically thinking of the wording of the Apostle Paul, let's ask God to protect them. So point number two, ask God to protect your pastors. In Paul's day, uh, that was protection from persecution. He knew that the persecution would slow him down. Well, thinking today of our pastors, what is it that will slow them down? What will keep them from doing what God wants them to do? What will keep them keeping watch over our souls as those who will have to give an account what Hebrews 13, 17 says is their job, and what a weighty job that is. How do they need God's good hand of protection on them so they can do what he's called them to do? So as we think of protection, I mean, definitely right now, I think physical protection, of course. Ask God to sustain and protect their health. I could tell you that none of them would hesitate to put their own health at risk if it meant loving the body of Christ the way that they believed God wanted them to do so. So ask God to be gracious to them physically. Uh, Ask God to protect them in the sense of spiritual protection. You know, the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. And who would he rather do that with than a spiritual leader? 
and how that would drag us all down if Satan was effective in that. So pray for your pastors spiritually. Pray for their hearts, that it remains soft, that they seek God daily, they seek God in prayer daily, that they love God with all of their heart. Pray that they can maintain the high standard that God calls them to. So there's physical protection, spiritual protection, uh, protection over their ministry. Like Paul, they have people who oppose them. I mean, certainly in the culture at large, there's people who don't like anyone who stands with God's word. Um, there's naysayers all over the internet. There could be extended family members or people that have misunderstood thing they've, things they've said and therefore they don't like them or people who just don't like the gospel. But for their ministry, the ministry they do for God, ask that it would flourish anyway. And along those lines, ask God to protect them from ineffectiveness. Think of the prayer that Paul asked for in Colossians chapter two. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So they don't just want an open door, but he wants to be effective. He wants to be extremely clear. And the same is true of our pastors, not just open doors for ministry, but praying that they are able to be clear and bold and effective in all of their words. And lastly, one more, um, pray for protection against discouragement. Specifically in this time, pray that they can keep going. What a weird season this is where they are pouring themselves out day in and day out for people that they cannot see, people they can't see or hear or touch, but there they are pouring themselves in ministry. And that could eventually get discouraging, but God can encourage them. So pray that God would encourage them. There's plenty more. That's just a great starting point. Praying for their spiritual and physical health, for their ministry, for their effectiveness. Pray God encourages them. Let's pray that they can keep going at it. Keep serving the Lord. And I know as the Apostle Paul wanted, they would love, for, they would love prayer for protection against anything that would hinder them from proclaiming a clear gospel, from doing the ministry that he's called them to do. So I hope we will. But our prayer list shouldn't only focus on what God is doing out there, right? Uh, how he's saving people out there or how he's using our pastors out there. But God very much cares about how we live, how we're living this whole thing out. And that's basically where Paul takes the Thessalonians' attention next. So let's look back at the text. We're going to read the whole thing one more time. It says in verse 1, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. And then there's a switch in attention here. It's as if the remembrance of those who do not have faith reminds him of God who is faithful, God who is in charge of all things. So he says, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So Paul shifts his attention here from what his prayer request was 
to what he hopes for them. And more than what he hopes for them, what he is confident in them about. Uh, that He's confident that not only have they been obeying his commands, but they will continue to. They will continue to do what they're supposed to do, which is definitely what we want said of us as well. So the last thing we should pray for from this text is that we would be faithful. Ask God to keep you faithful. Point number three. We want to be those people who are doing what we are supposed to do, who are doing what God wants us to do. We want to get to the end of our life and hear like that servant in Jesus's parable, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't want to get caught up in anything that we shouldn't be doing, in anything that the evil one, right? The devil, what, his schemes, whatever they would be, they would keep us doing from what we should be doing because whatever he wants us to do, it is not faithfulness, but we want to be faithful. And the best thing to do is to go to the faithful one, the one who it says will sustain us, the one who will give us success in that, who will guard us and help us. As you think of faithfulness, don't just think of that as a general quality. I mean, yes, we want to be faithful people, but faithfulness is really made up of a bunch of moments put together, just one time after the next, doing what we're supposed to do, moment by moment being found doing what God wants us to do. And it's often even in those small things. I mean, isn't that kind of what you hear when it says, you are doing and will do the things that we command. Paul gave them specific commands that they were obeying. And he says, and you will continue to. So it's like he's setting them up for future success. Uh, kind of like if you're a parent and you leave your kids home for a bit or you're leaving them with a babysitter or your teacher and you're leaving the students with a substitute. And you not only encourage them, you've been doing a great job, but you tell them, and I know that you're gonna do a great job when I leave. You're gonna do exactly what I've taught you to do. It's an encouragement, but it's like a loving nudge towards the right direction. And that's what Paul's doing here. He is nudging them towards, especially what he's about to say to them. As the chapter goes on, he's going to give them a specific command. So he's saying, I know that you're going to obey the commands in the future, and here is my command. He says it three times. This is my command. You will obey my command. And you'll look at what that is as you continue to study the text, a very specific thing right there. But the point is, Paul is saying, there's something you need to work on and God is going to help you in that thing, that thing that is hard for you. So as you think of your own faithfulness, think if this letter were written to our church or if it was written to you specifically, as the letter went on towards the end, what would that command be? the very specific thing that you know that you need to work on. It would be like Paul saying, I know you will continue to obey and this is what you should do. This is that thing that you should obey. And I have confidence that you can because God is faithful. He will sustain you. He will enable you to. And that's why we ask God for help in being faithful in all those ways and especially thinking of those things that are harder to be faithful in. There's another encouragement that the Apostle Paul gives that will deepen our godliness and faithfulness at the end of this text. It's in verse five, let's read it. He says, may the Lord direct your heart to the love of God 
and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts. The idea here is you should be thinking about this. You should be reflecting on it. You should come to understand it. And then it should impact your life. I mean, that's what the context is here, is how we should be living. So we think on the love of God, the sacrificial love of God who sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins, to suffer on our behalf. That kind of sacrificial love we should think on and reflect on and then show it in our lives. Or the steadfastness of Christ, that patient endurance that he showed all the way to death on a cross from beginning to end. He did exactly what God would want him to do. And he went all the way being led like a lamb to the slaughter, patient endurance, steadfastness he showed. How are we supposed to understand those things and then show them and then demonstrate them? I like the way one commentary put it, um, thinking of God's love and our steadfastness, how we should live. He says, we should act like God acts. And what a difference that that would make if we took serious that mindset, acting like God acts in our love in our steadfastness, our patient endurance, but really just in any area of holiness that we know God wants us to be holy. Act like God acts in our home, in our marriage, in our neighborhood, with our extended family, in our thoughts, and in our actions. Of course, that's not an easy thing to do, and that's why we go to God in prayer about it. We want to keep being faithful each day asking God to help us in that. Every day, every day that we are alive is an opportunity to be faithful. It's an opportunity to grow. You might've heard our days right now compared to the Groundhog Day movie. You know, that time lapse, kind of a time warp thing where he just, it's that cycle. He just wakes up, he does the same thing, goes to sleep and does it all over again. And here we are, we wake up, we do life in our homes, we go to bed, we wake up and we do it again. But how much more meaningful is it if we see each and every one of those days as an opportunity to be faithful, as an opportunity to grow in all the ways that God wants us to grow, especially in those harder ways, those things that we know that we should be working on. So let's ask God to help us to be faithful amidst, amidst the mundane kinds of life things, uh, but also amidst the trials that are to come. I mean, who knows what kind of trials are going to hit us in the days, weeks, months, even years to come. But no matter what comes, let's ask God to help us to be ready to be faithful and faithful to the end, to the end of our life, to our dying breath. Pray that we can be faithful today, no matter what comes and to the end. Let's ask God to help us to be faithful. And we can do this. We, we can have that confidence that Paul spoke of, where he says, I have confidence that you will do the things that I have commanded. We can have confidence that we can do that because God is faithful, because he will sustain us. He will help us to endure. So we go to him in prayer for salvation, for our pastors, for ourselves. And really what a simple thing that is, something we can all be doing from the confines of our home, sitting on a couch. We can be praying for these things and what a difference it would make if we did. Uh, even just in our own mindset and remembering the things that we should be focused on and maximizing this time. But also because we are talking to the God 
of the universe, who has power over all things. And he hears us, he listens, and he answers. So let's ask God to work mightily during this time. I've often thought during this crisis about times that I have prayed for someone who is going through a trial. And, you know, I'm praying that it would get better, that they would not have the suffering and the hardship. But really, while I'm praying that, I'm really wanting God to use this time in their life. I mean, especially if they are not a Christian. I mean, yes, I want the hardship to be over, but first I want them to know Jesus. And so the prayer is in a sense, God save them before you relieve them. And so it is with this worldwide trial. I mean, yes, we want the hardship to be over, We want the sickness and the disease. We want all of that stuff to go away. We want the hardships in our economy to stop. We want all of these problems to go away. But first, we want God to use all of this for good. We want him to save souls. We want him to make our churches and our pastors more effective. We want him to help grow us into becoming more godly and faithful. And we want to be more dependent on prayer through this. Let's pray that what God does is far beyond what any history book would ever record. Let's beg God to make this a tremendously profitable, spiritually fruitful, crazy useful season of history. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this timely text that really spurs us on to pray. I mean, specifically with the prayer request that Paul had, that the word of God would speed ahead. God, I do pray that that would happen in our day and age, that uh, we would see the gospel go out and it be effective. And we pray for our pastors and the ministry that they are doing. And we pray that you would make us godly as well. And I know, God, as we pray these things, we'll see that we even live differently, that we are a part of getting the gospel out, that we are sharing the gospel, that we are encouraging our pastors, that we are working at faithfulness. I know our lives will be impacted by our prayers, but I pray that you would get us to just start praying more first, that each day these three things would be on our prayer list, that we would pray often, that we would pray faithfully. And God, I pray that you would show yourself faithful, that we would see you work in amazing ways during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.